doing familiar narratives with new insights. So hopefully, and if these are not familiar to you, great, then you are jumping in something brand new. And it's always good to jump into scripture because God just has something to teach us and wants to connect with us through his word over and over again. And sometimes we just forget that. So we said that in doing this, we are using a Jewish word called remez. And that simply means that something you're reading links to something in the Hebrew scriptures or in our Bibles, we call it the Old Testament. Like there's always a link back. It's not just somebody came up with something and did something. There's a link back. And so you look for that link back. What's it linking back to? What's Jesus referring to? What is this person that is coming up to Jesus referring to? And when you do that, you see some brand new things that perhaps you have not seen before. Now, why are we doing this? Ed, are you just bored? You just had to come up with something new, right? You, you picked out this word out of thin air. No, remez is a real thing, okay? I'm doing this because I want you all to understand the deepness and richness of Scripture. This, this, the text is deeper and richer than you can imagine. And most of us, if, you, you know, if you've been a Christian a long time, you can get bored with this book because, oh, I know everything that's in it. No. Okay, that's the first thing you ought to just throw out of your vocabulary. You don't know everything that's in it. Okay, I don't know everything that's in it. Nobody knows everything that's in it other than God himself. Okay, because it's just over and over again, you see new insights and new things and God's leading you to truth. So I want you to appreciate the deepness and richness of scripture so that perhaps you would go to the text and try to get it into your life every single day. The second reason. So. Why, why do you care, Ed, if we think that Scripture is deep and rich? Well, why does that matter? Because you're going to have dry seasons. I can tell you this. You will. If you haven't had one in a while, if it hasn't been recent, you will have a dry season, a season where you just feel distant from God. That's just the way you feel. You're like, Scripture doesn't speak to you. Your prayers don't seem to be going anywhere. And you get in these dry seasons. And in these dry seasons, I'm telling you what God loves to do is return us to his text and say, it's okay, I know, don't, don't feel guilty, don't put your head down to go, oh, what's the matter with me? Open it up again and let me show you what I want to do. In dry seasons, God draws close and he helps us in those dry seasons to deal with what's happening in our life and to walk us through those things and to help us. And I want you to know that. So often in dry seasons, we feel guilty, and that means we stay away. We stay away from church. We stay away from small group. We stay away from lots of things that God's like, no, I created that to help you. I created that. You think, oh, if I open this up, it's just going to make me feel guilty. No, no, it won't, okay? That's not its purpose. Its purpose is to guide and direct your life in a brand new way and to offer you something rich. Now, I've said all that, and you need to be warned. This morning's passage is really difficult. And what it points back to, I hope, is going to help us even more. But it's all about what does it mean to follow Jesus? This whole idea of following that a lot of people watch, a lot of people observe. And this was true in Jesus' day. A lot of people stood in the fringes and, wow, he does miracles. He tells parables. Isn't this cool? Isn't this amazing? I was there today. He fed all of us. That was great. We did all these different things. And they stood at a distance and kind of observed and watched. But they never followed. And the passage we're going to look at, they start giving excuses. Oh, yeah, I want, I want to follow, but. 
I want to follow, but. I want to follow, but let me do this first. But let me do this. But let me do this. And let me do this. And Jesus begins to answer those. And if you don't understand the context of the situation, you're either going to think Jesus is mean and harsh and doesn't has no compassion on people, or, or you just don't know what to think of the passage. So that's what we're going to jump into today. I just want us to see that. And I want us to recognize that all of us probably have areas of our life where we stopped following Jesus. We did really good in lots of areas. But let's just be honest. There's some areas we just stopped. Yes, I know. Probably two weeks ago, right, when talking about forgiveness. I know, Jesus wants me to forgive, but... You don't understand what happened to me. You don't understand what my family was like growing up. You don't understand what this person at work did to me. They betrayed me. You don't understand uh, my ex. You don't understand lots of different stuff. And so that's just an area. We can just be honest this morning. That's an area we just stopped. And we're like, yeah, I know that's what you want us to do, Jesus, but I'm struggling doing that in the current situation of my life. So I want us to recognize we all have areas where we just get to a point we just stop following Jesus. And if I could call you to anything, it's come back in. Come back in and start following in that area and watch what Jesus wants to do in your life through that. So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 8, and then we're going to flip over to Luke because Luke is going to add a part to this whole discussion that's going to be our link back to the Old Testament this morning. So you can follow on the screen. If you're watching at home, you can follow along right in the bottom there uh, with all our scripture that we are going to be looking at this morning. Here we go. Now, when Jesus saw a large crowd around him, he gave orders to go to the other side of the lake. Then an expert in the law. So he's just told that we're going to go to the other side of the lake, which by the way, we're going to pick up in a couple weeks and you're going to be amazed at what that means and what happened there. So an expert in the law. This, this person has studied. This person knows a lot. They're an expert. They're a Bible expert. They know uh, everything, right? So he comes and he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, that, that's a nice offer, right? Look what Jesus' reply is. Foxes have dens and the birds in the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus relied on, and we don't understand this in our context because we're like, well, didn't he have a house? He had to have an apartment, right? Well, that's just our context. When we look at his context, Jesus relied on the radical hospitality of people, such as Mary and Martha, okay, and Lazarus. He was at their house constantly. Why? Because that gave him a place. So he's looking at this expert in the law and saying, I, I know what you think this is. You think, you think we're going to get a nice house and people are going to just, you know, give us all these things? No. Sometimes there's no place. I rely on the radical hospitality of people opening their doors to allow me to come in and have a place to stay. So, so if you think, oh, but Jesus, you're a rabbi. Everybody's got to be giving you stuff. If that's what you think this is, no, 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 no. I think you got the wrong person here. That's not what this is. The Son of Man actually has no place, he says, to lay his head. Unless somebody radical hospitality and invites us in, we don't have any place to do that. And that helps us understand, wow, that is what that is what God did. Walked into our world and did not insist, according to Philippians 2, that you give me a house and you make it nice and you give me all your stuff and you give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. 
He does none of that. And he is willing actually to not have a place in order to save and redeem us. I mean, how could we ever just second-guess Jesus' motives if he's willing to do that for us? So that that's that's where he's at. And he's like, um, listen, th- there's no luxury in this. There's no nice houses. Nobody's building us um, a mansion, okay? This is what it is following me. This is what it looks like. So another disciple. So he's been around. He's kind of been following. He's kind of been watching. Another disciple said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Oh, man, what a request, right? You can't deny somebody who's going to a funeral, right? But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. We can talk about that in a moment. If you're like, oh, that's harsh. Why, why would he say that? You'll follow along what we're doing here. Uh, so I want to skip over to Luke's account because Luke is going to add one more person who needs to come up and say, yeah, I'll follow you, but here it is. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say goodbye to my family. And that a reasonable request? Just let me go do that. Now, you'll, you'll understand in a moment why he does this, but why he says, let me say goodbye, because it happens somewhere else. And Jesus says what? No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God, which you and I go, I don't know, I haven't plowed anything recently. What's he talking about? Okay, We hit stuff and we're like, what is he talking about? Because Jesus, again, is going to reference exactly what the guy has been referencing for him. So let me just answer the first part first before we jump in. Was Jesus really that harsh? Like, the dead bury the dead? Did he really tell a guy you can't go to your dad's funeral? No, he actually didn't. Let me tell you what he actually is doing there. So, in the Jewish world, first century Judaism, so you understand what it's like. If someone dies, do you know when you bury them? Immediately. Immediately. There is no waiting period. There is no time. You do exactly what Scripture talks about was done with Jesus, where they wrapped the body, they used spices, and they laid him in a tomb. That's exactly what you do, and you do that as quick as possible. That, that, that was the world. And in fact, unlike our world in which we embalm and try to preserve the body, they did exactly the opposite. They tried to speed things up. So that in one year from that day that you took your loved one, went into that tomb and laid them on that stone there, you would go back one year, you would collect the bones, and you would put it in a box called an ossuary. You put it in that box, it was, it was carved out of stone, and then it went on a wall inside that cave that was dedicated to your family. And then the next person would lay on the slab, and a year later you would come in, and you'd collect the bones, and you'd stick them in the box, and you might carve their name on it, you might not, and you put it up on your area of the cave that was dedicated to your family. So guess what the guy is? The, the guy's father did not die. He died at some point. He's now in that year waiting period. And just like in our day, if we would be honest, where a lot of superstition follows death, they had the same problem. So they believed if you weren't there exactly one year, exactly one year, you didn't, you didn't hold the anniversary, okay, what day is it? I got to be there. If you weren't there the exact day that one year had passed and you didn't collect the bones and put them in the ossuary and put them in the cave wall, your loved one would not be resurrected. What? Is that in text? No, this is what they thought. 
And so he's saying, uh, Jesus would love to follow you. If I miss that day and my daddy doesn't get resurrected, that's a problem, okay? I don't know what to do about that. So this is what he's struggling with, okay? And that's where Jesus says, why don't you let, leave that to somebody else? That has nothing to do with resurrection. That has nothing to do with eternity. That has nothing to do with any of that. And before we're too harsh, and I won't say on what things, we have some of the same superstitions following things. I get asked questions all the time about certain forms of when people die and what we do and what we don't do. I get asked those questions because sometimes we do the same exact thing. And in most cases, we're all worried about what? What happens in eternity because of what is happening here. And so we, we tend to do the same thing. But what about that last one? Okay? Can you really not say goodbye? Are you really not allowed to go home and say, hey, goodbye, I'm going to follow Jesus? Or is it in the text? You're going to hear this over and over again. You're going to get sick of this. But is it in the text somewhere? Is there somewhere text where we find a story about someone who says goodbye to his family, and that's what this guy is referencing, and Jesus also references it when he says, you know, anybody who looks back uh, is not fit for the kingdom. So, what's in the text? If you went, and you went into the book of 1 Kings, this is right after, uh, by the way, which I think is amazing, uh, Elijah is being pursued by someone named Jezebel and Ahab. He is in a deep depression. He is sitting by a, a stream, and you know what he's asking God to do? Just, just end my life. Just end my life. Just end my life. God does what? He meets him where he is. He doesn't say, Elijah, what are you doing? Get up. No. He says, no, let me help you. He feeds him. He gives him what he needs. And then he says, you know what you really need? You need help. You need to know that this is going to go on, that I'm still at work, and you need someone to help you. So this is the very next thing that takes place, is Elisha comes onto the scene, and Elijah's going to have somebody who he can prepare and get ready for. So here it is. Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Saphet, and he was plowing with 12 pairs of oxen. Now watch what happens here. He was near the 12th pair, and Elijah passed by him and threw his robe over him. So, you know, you're in. You know, you're my follower. You're the person that's going to take over after me. He left the oxen and ran after Elijah. Can you imagine Elijah just comes up and does this and just keeps walking? What are you doing? Okay? And he knows something's happening here, so he just takes off, and he runs after Elijah. And he says, please, look at this. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye. Wasn't that the same request the guy had? Let me just say goodbye to my family. Then I will follow you. Now, interesting, it's the same wording just back in another story that this guy's going, but wait a minute, Jesus, Jesus. Elijah even let Elisha say goodbye. Really, I can't even do that. Okay, but what's the rest of the story here? So Elijah said to him, go back indeed. What, you know, what have I done to you? Which is an idiom saying, of course you can. I'm not going to prevent you from doing that. Go do that. Now watch what happens. Okay? This is serious. Elisha does something very serious to show he is all in. He is committed. He is ready to follow. And he's ready to do exactly what Elijah 
wants him to do. So Elisha went back, and he took all his oxen, and he slaughtered them. Well, I guess he's done plowing, isn't he? Right? Well, what are you going to do now? He's done. He's over. He kills them all. Okay? He cooks the meat over fire that he made by burning the harness and the yoke. Well, now he's just done everything. Everything is gone. Everything is gone. He gave the people meat. Okay? So this is his entire family, maybe even more people in the town. Then he got up, followed Elijah, and became his assistant. That's a very different goodbye than probably you and I are thinking about, right? Where he just, he just gets rid of everything. He just leaves everything, and he's like, I'm done. I'm done. It's over. I am fully in to being your assistant and following you. Elijah and Elijah, by the way, if you didn't know this, are where many believe the whole idea of having disciples, and there's a specific word for that, where it all started. That before that, that, you know, uh, Moses and Joshua, maybe, you know, uh, mentor, you know, they, they had a, a, a different relationship. But here, where somebody was just saying, come and follow me, might have been where it all started. And why in Jesus' day then, he did that all the time. He went up to Matthew, tax collector, right? He's, he's wealthy, he has all these possessions, and he says, what? Follow me. So what does he do? He gets up. Leave. I mean, that would have just been shocking he, to, to just leave, just left everything. Peter, his brother Andrew, they're out fishing. What do they do? Everything's gone. They, they, just, they get rid of it. They're, they're done. James, John are out with their father. They do the same thing. All done, leave that, they go, and they follow Jesus. So they're all referencing back to this story where every, every Jew believes this is where this whole thing got started. And Elijah went back to destroy all he previously had, and then he left. So what's Jesus doing when he makes that statement? I think he's saying something like this. You want to go back. You want to say goodbye. Don't forget the rest of the story. Don't forget the rest of the story. Do you understand what goodbye meant? He was done. He was done with that. He was done with living that way. He was done with following in that direction. He was done. And he got rid of everything, and he started to follow Elijah. So if you want to do that, great. But remember, what's the rest of the story? He destroyed everything, went forward, and started to follow him. Discipleship is not easy. I hope in trying to help everybody understand what it means to follow Jesus, we haven't we even just painted this picture that this thing is, oh, this thing is just easy. There, there's just nothing in Scripture that tells us it's easy. In fact, I like a quote by, by somebody that, that I listen to who helps uh, me see some of these insights, okay? It is not light. It is not trivial. In fact, he would say, it leads to persecution, it is difficult, it is costly, it is hard. Now, if we stood up here and said that every Sunday, you know how many people, right? It would just, oh, I, I, I'm not into difficult, got enough difficulties. I'm not into costly, I'm not into hard. I mean, all these words we've tried to change or glide over or skim past because, what if we have to tell people it's hard? 
What if we actually have to tell people that they're not going to want to follow Jesus? You know, we got to make this easy and light. And no, following him isn't just a light decision. It's not trivial. It does lead to persecution because some people can't understand. What? You're not, you're not doing that? Why aren't you involved in that? Everybody else does that. Everybody else lives that way. Everybody else does that. Everybody else goes and does this. Why aren't you? Why, why aren't you? Why can't you just go along with what everybody else is doing? Okay? It, it does, and that's why it leads to persecution, because you end up living and walking a different way than a lot of other people. And it's difficult at times. And it is costly. And at times it is hard. And I think we just forget that. So we all have an example coming up this week. I've just used the name Patrick. We would use the name St. Patrick, and then we would get all confused. Now, I don't know what you're doing on Thursday. Uh, Pray for Troy. Troy's having surgery on Thursday. So Troy doesn't get a married St. Patrick's Day, okay? Uh, So pray for Troy. So uh, I don't know what you're doing. Now, in my house, because of a tradition my mother-in-law started that I have to carry over, my wife wants corned beef and cabbage, okay? I, I don't know. Don't ask me. I don't think there's anybody Irish in the whole family line. But anyway, that, that's where I'm stuck, okay? That's what I get to do, okay? I should say I get to do that. I get to, I get to do that, okay? Uh, some of you might go to McDonald's and get a shamrock shake, okay? I, I, I don't know. I don't know what your plan is for Thursday. You might get your green out so you fit in with everybody else. But what do we know about Patrick? I don't know. People drink beverages that are green, in Chicago, they, they make the whole darn river green, okay? So, I mean, what do we know? What do we actually know about him? All you need to know is his story, and everything I just mentioned is his story. But most of us don't even know that because we, what, this is what we have done. It's a terrible thing that we've done, okay? Oh, he must be Catholic. Shove him aside. We can't talk about him. This is nonsense. He's not. He is a follower of Jesus just like us. That somehow along the way we just labeled something and we shoved him in the corner and we forgot to know his story. Patrick was 16 years old when his family was on vacation, what they would call holiday, and he was kidnapped. 16 years old. 16. He's kidnapped and he's enslaved by people in what is now modern-day Ireland. Okay, that is who he's held captive by, and that is who has enslaved him. And he writes that that was really the start of him being serious about his faith. Because now all of a sudden, uh uh-oh, okay, everything got changed in a moment. He gets kidnapped. He gets taken away. He's 16 years old. And then he gets to escape about, and I hope I don't mess all these numbers up, It's about six years later that he escapes and he makes his way all the way back home. Well, can you believe his parents are thrilled? They are excited. Yes, he is back. He is safe. Praise the Lord. Until he gets ready to do what he does next. Patrick then goes and does what in their day was all the formal training you could do. Because now he was going to be a pastor. That's what we call him. Nowadays, they would have called him a priest then. That's what he did. He went into training to do that. And so maybe they were like, oh, wonderful, great. We're behind you 100%. 
until he told him what he was going to do next. Do you know what that was? He was going back to Ireland. And according to everything we know, everybody tried to talk him out of this. His parents tried to talk him out of this. You can't do this. Uh, Patrick, what happened to you? Do you know what those people did to you? Do you know who they are? And do you know what they did? You cannot go back there. And yet, guess what he does? He goes back. He goes back there, and he leads as many as he can to follow Jesus. And do you know why we celebrate March 17th? Not because that was the day he was born. It was because that was the day they actually killed him. That's why March 17th is St. Patrick's Day. See, that looks very different. Right? That that, that looked very different. Wow, why why haven't I known that? Because because we're so good, okay? We're so good at labeling things and shoving them in corners and saying, oh, that's something that's not a part of, no, it is. This is somebody who followed Jesus. And when Jesus said, go back to the people who enslaved you and lead them and help them and teach them, and it ultimately costs him his life. That, that would take me back to, it's not light, it's not trivial. It leads to persecution. It is difficult, it is costly, it is hard. Just check all those boxes for Patrick for a moment. Because all of them were true. All of them were true. And there's no point where we have any words where he said, boy, this was a mistake. Nope. Because that's what he signed up for. He knew what he was going back to because the saved people who enslaved him had not changed overnight. They had not just suddenly got nice after he escaped. They were the same wicked, evil people they were before in need of Jesus who had saved them and redeemed them, and they didn't know who he was. And so Patrick takes that whole idea that I need to follow him seriously, and then he goes out and actually does it. And it ultimately costs him his very own life. See, that's what I want you to remember this week. Whether you put on green or have your shamrock shakes or whatever else, you know, uh, it will happen. And, and whatever you watch on the news report or whatever they turned green, okay, uh, that, that's just, I just want the grass to be green. Anybody else just want to let's, let's turn green. Let's, let's get some spring going here. Uh, that, that's what I'd like. That you would remember, hey, wait a minute. That's someone who understood discipleship. That's someone who understood what it meant to follow Jesus. That's someone who understood that this thing might be costly and it might be difficult and it might be hard. I'm in. I'm in if that's what Jesus wants me to do. To parents who are like, No, I don't think that's what Jesus wants you to do. No, mom and dad, that's exactly what he wants me to do. That's exactly what he wants me to do. And somewhere along the line, I'm just telling you guys, we just stop following. We just stop following in certain areas of our life. We just stop. I think we know what we're supposed to do, but it just comes up to, am I actually going to do it or not? Am I actually going to forgive people? And in fact, what did Jesus say? We're, we're, we're supposed to love our enemies. Gosh, let's not talk about that. How difficult is that? And over and over again, we keep bumping into these truths 
that ask us to follow Jesus even when it's hard and difficult and costly and we're not sure what it looks like. That's when he asks us to actually follow him. So here's my prayer for this week. That you would recognize any area of your life you stopped following. You're, you're just watching. How does that forgiveness thing work? How does that generosity thing work? How does that hospitality thing work? How does these things that, that Jesus did and, and asked us to do, how, how does that work? I'm not sure. That you would just move, even if it was a little, little bit, and you would stop watching in that area, and you would make a step to start following. I don't know where it is, because I can't answer that question. I don't know where it is for you. But where is it you just stopped following and just got to watching the sightseeing? And Jesus would just ask you, could, could you just take a step this way? Yeah, I, I know. I know it's difficult. I, yeah, I know, I know it's hard. I know it's costly. I, I, I know all of that. I'm just telling you it's worth it if you would do it. That's all I can tell you. It's worth it if you would actually do it. So we're going to pray this morning, and then we're going to sing a very familiar song, a very familiar song to many of you. Um, and thank you, Karen, for being willing to help us out this morning on this. Um, probably most of us have sang this before in our lives that, man, I don't know if I need words, right? I have decided to follow Jesus. Oh, that's such simple words, right? Such simple words. Have we decided to follow Jesus? Where have we stopped following Jesus? And where this week can we just make a step to start following him again? As before, um, if you want to come up and pray during this time, I believe Dan and Dave are going to be over in this area. And um, if you'd like to uh, come up and have someone pray for you, and it doesn't have to be anything about the sermon. It could be what's happening in your life, uh, a need that you have. They would love to be able to uh, pray with you and to pray for you. All right, let's pray, and then we'll worship the Lord one more time. Father, forgive us for not understanding what it looks like to follow you. We just we just throw that word around, not understanding what it really means. And, and if we're all honest in the room or online, if we're watching, we all have places where we stopped. We just stopped. Things were hard. It was going to be costly. It was going to be difficult. So we just stopped. And you would invite us to take a step in that direction again. And start following you all over. Yep. Going to be difficult, hard, costly. But it is so worth it. And may we remember Patrick's story. That it's always worth it. It's always worth it. And may we choose again. To follow you. And see what you have in store for us. As we follow you. Reveal to our lives all the areas where we stopped following and have 
gone to watching, that we would return the following year. In Jesus' name, amen.